Welcome, everyone, to a special episode of This Must Be Pop. This is Anna and Lizzie, and we have a couple of special guests and friends of the podcast with us today, Kelsey and Mary from When They Popped Podcast. So When They Popped is a Y2K nostalgia podcast. Welcome, ladies. Hello. Thank you. We're so happy to be here. (laughs) You guys have been so nice to us um, since you started, and it's been so great to have, like, podcast besties yes (laughs) thank you guys so supportive mutual support we love it thank you thank you so do you ladies want to do a little breakdown of what your podcast is about kelsey take take it away away. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god our relationship (laughs) very good go for it the floor is Um, yours You know, Kelsey and I uh, reaffound our friendship after about 10 years of not really being in touch through our love through the Backstreet Boys. And then we soon realized that we have a lot of other uh, mutual interests and love, like everything Y2K. That's our our main interest. And so we decided, why not create a passion project around that shared interest? And our podcast was born. We talk about music, movies, TV shows, and just general socialites, all the things that you loved back in the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. Absolutely love it. We are podcast cousins, and we all <laughs> <laughs> we all have the same mission, similar missions. So it's safe to say that we are all pop music and pop culture experts. So mm. we are joining forces on this special episode to respectfully debunk a lot of the information that was told on the podcast, Your Favorite Band Sucks. They recently did an in-sync episode, and both of our podcasts listened to it, and honestly felt the critiques were either unfair, not well-researched, or we're just wrong and we have the facts to back it up we brought the receipt (laughs) i was gonna say back 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 it up (laughs) (laughs) so we encourage everyone to listen to the your favorite band sucks in sync episode and come back and listen to this episode and compare and come up with your own judgment Let's explain what the Your Favorite Band Sucks podcast is. So it's a music podcast where two guys, Mark and Tyler, discuss how some music acts the general public views as awesome are not actually as great as people may think they are. They do this by listening to their discography prior to recording, and they analyze their music and some of their performances. They go into the history of the band, controversies, and lyrical analysis. So Your Favorite Band Sucks is actually consistently ranked as one of the top listen to music podcasts for a few years now. So it's safe to say they have a dedicated audience and a platform where they can guide people towards a new way of thinking about music. So they started the podcast focused on mostly rock bands, and they have done episodes on some pop acts, which is great. But I will say them doing episodes like BTS, Taylor Swift, and their most recent episode in sync, it hits a little bit different. And I have to say, it kind of feels like they're punching down. And the reason why I feel this way is there's a huge difference when older straight white men critique bands like Leonard Skinner, Led Zeppelin, 
bands that their demographic tends to like and is accepted by society. I think that there are a lot of topics that they bring up on their podcast that are really great conversation starters. For example, like how Led Zeppelin ripped off a lot of songs and the Rolling Stones took a lot of music from African-American artists. I do want to give them credit. They did actually do a Justin Bieber episode and defended them. So I do have to give them credit for that. So they do have an understanding of pop music. And I also want to make a shout out to Tyler's country music podcast, Cocaine and Rhinestones. That podcast is absolutely fantastic. Highly recommend that podcast. But when they critique a boy band that is liked by, frankly, a demographic that they're not a part of, it does feel like it's punching down and it's validating what a lot of older, typically white men, straight white men are always critiquing. So it's validating that critiques that have existed for decades when it comes to boy bands. So I genuinely do not think that they know that they're punching down. I think in their minds, they're like NSYNC is one of the biggest bands of all time. We should absolutely critique them and they absolutely should. Um, But I personally feel and I know that we all personally feel that they missed the mark on a lot of stuff. So Mm. we're just here to respectfully fact check some of the things that they said on their podcast. I also get it. Their podcast, I've actually listened to their podcast for a long time. I know that it's supposed to be funny, but good comedy is actually one that speaks truth to power. It's not punching down. And if you're going to critique pop music, you have to understand which bands hold more societal power and which ones don't. And boy bands don't. So well said. Thank you. So before we start, I want to be clear about two things. One, this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not for slander. We hope you all take this episode as education and not to go to the Your Favorite Band Sucks podcast and bash them. Because frankly, we do have respect for them as podcasters and music commentators. So the second big thing that I want to also emphasize is this is not an NSYNC versus Backstreet Boys episode. (laughs) We are going to make comparisons between the two. But this is only in relation to the things that were discussed on the Your Favorite Band Sucks podcast. We love and respect both NSYNC and BSB. Some of us prefer one over the other. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can all recognize music journalism that is lacking in understanding and experience of young people, particularly young women, which is why we're together for this podcast today. I don't know if you ladies want to talk about it. Like I said, I love both NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. I do lean a little bit more NSYNC, but the rest of the ladies on this call, on this podcast, (laughs) they... They all actually prefer the Backstreet Boys. So if you all think that this is just a group of NSYNC fans that are crazy and don't know what they're talking about, these ladies actually prefer another band over NSYNC. Mm. So this is- <laughs> exactly. Um, Kelsey and I probably did not expect to be going to bat for NSYNC like we're going to tonight. But again, like you said so aptly, some of the criticisms were a little unfair and some were just completely inaccurate. And so I'm excited to kind of unite. Look at us. NSYNCers and BSBers can get along, can be in the same room. We've gone, we've come so far. Yeah. Look like at how the far we've the jets. <laughs> like We're coming together. Yes. <laughs> we've evolved. I feel like anytime I see any other fandom of a boy band, I root for them because I know what it's like to get those looks when you say that your favorite band is a boy band. People think you're silly or they don't take you as seriously. Yeah. They think that you don't have good taste in music. So I will always root for boy band fans above all. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what our podcast has always been about. It's about legitimizing 
both the fan experience of liking a boy band as well as the music of boy bands. So that's actually kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode is to debunk some typical criticism from music critics and to reframe the narrative because most music critics, quite frankly, are older men that just don't have an understanding of women, of, of young people, of queer folks. Like there's there's so mm-hmm. many blind spots that a lot of these music critics have. And it's like so personal. Going to my first Backstreet Boys concert was the closest thing I've ever had to a religious experience. So it's like <laughs> yeah. hurtful when your lived experience is being shat on by somebody. So True. thank right. you guys oh. for doing what you do and raising awareness and breaking the stigma because even 30-year-olds... <laughs> when they say they love a boy band so we are now going to get into breaking down some of the things that were said on the your favorite band sucks podcast and providing our own either fact checking items or or our own opinions so the first thing that they said mark asked tyler who the best boy band of all time is tyler says new edition which Good answer. <laughs> I will say that. New edition, iconic. We wouldn't have any of the other boy bands in the 80s and the 90s and 2000s without New Edition. They were huge influences on NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, Boys Two Men, New Kids on the Block, etc. I, I found it kind of strange that he went on to compare NSYNC and the Beatles. You know, NSYNC's a great boy band. Backstreet Boys is obviously my favorite. I would never compare them with the Beatles. I, I just don't think it's the same. No. It was kind of a strange comparison for me. Right. I mean, two completely different boy bands. One played instruments, one danced. Um, yeah, it's just like... <laughs> One's been legitimized by older white men. The others haven't. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I think the only thing that's really similar to both is the fans, really. Like the excitement that the fans get. And the Beatles were really the first band to be able to do that to young teens. (laughs) So the next thing that they talk about is they say that NSYNC came out with four albums, of which one is a Christmas album. And they say that the Christmas album was money-grabbing bullshit. Which Christmas album isn't, is what I would like to ask. <laughs> Seriously. Right? And I, I had fun with this because, first of all, is is money grabbing bad? Like, aren't we all, like, working on Earth to, like, make money and survive? But, like, right. let's let's get to the stats here. Like, the numbers don't lie. NSYNC's Christmas album went two times platinum. And you know what? Didn't New Edition's third studio album that wasn't even a Christmas album, All for Love. And on top of that, New Edition had their own Christmas album too. And that didn't even get platinum certification. So like, again, I'm using new edition as a reference because that's who Tyler referenced and it's not a knock at them. I think they paved the way, but again, I just think credit is to be given where it's due. And like, did you even research your own favorite band when making that statement? (laughs) Exactly. Lizzie. I'm coming in hot right now (laughs) with what is probably the world's craziest in sync hot take. I think Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays is NSYNC's best song, just straight up across the board. So like anyone who's going to fight the Christmas album can fight me and can pry it from my <laughs> cold dead hands. <laughs> Lizzie, you're so right. That song has turned into its own like cultural moment. Yeah. And every ugly sweater that I've seen over the last couple of years has that iconic photo of them with their Christmas hats on. Yes. It's, it's become its own cultural reference in a way. And just... Just because something's popular doesn't mean it's bad or in poor taste. 
Yes. Yeah. And boy bands and Christmas songs go together like peanut butter and jelly. And if you don't believe <laughs> us, we have a whole episode about this that where is... we go through all of the different Christmas albums that boy bands have recorded and we talk about them and we go through like which covers were best and original songs. And if you need further convincing, you should go listen to that episode and come back. <laughs> Okay, so the next thing is they then criticize NSYNC for having a song titled I Want You Back because the Jackson 5 have a song with the same title. I don't understand exactly why this is a criticism that be just because they the song has the same name. I, I just don't really think of this as a very good argument. Big picture, so many solo artist groups are drawing from and are inspired by artists before them. People like Sabrina Carpenter, Dua Lipa say they were inspired by Britney Spears. Back in the day, people were inspired by Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson, Madonna. This is like pretty standard. And I'm pre also pretty sure like at this stage in their career, NSYNC didn't really have the creative control over their song titles, you know, right. like it's just no. <laughs> and if right. you were really going to be like, oh, you can never have a song title because this has already been done before. We're never going to have any song titles no. like you yeah. can't. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> and and the other thing too is max martin wrote Ugh. i want you back so yes. and we all know we all feel the same way about max martin so we we he's our imaginary bestie we love him so much he's <laughs> an icon and a legend yep we'll get into him we will Okay, so Mark then says every single thing that they in sync have done has been done before them. Okay, first, this is such a broad statement that is said with nothing substantial to back it up, and they provided no examples as to why InSync is completely unoriginal. This is often the criticism that some people may have where they say that InSync ripped off BSB, and, and yes, Backstreet Boys came first. InSync was molded to be Backstreet Boys' competition, and InSync's early years, you could argue they were very similar, but they really were two different bands with two different approaches. And especially after they InSync split ties from Lou Pearlman and released No Strings Attached, that difference was a little bit more clear. But to say that nothing they did was original is just such a broad claim. And it, it's just, it's also so incorrect. I mean, I, I kind of went off on their harmonies, but <laughs> in the notes, but I mean, their harmony arrangement, honestly, I, and I don't think too many people talk about this within uh, music journalism and music critics. They Not a lot of people are, are aware of InSync's five-part harmony arrangement. That alone makes them really unique. Having modeled your harmony arrangement after doo-wop groups and like Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, there weren't really any other groups within that time that were doing kind of the same harmony arrangement. But to say that what they were doing was not original with that arrangement as well as working with artists across different genres, not in just pop, but country, hip hop, R&B and techno. That was something totally original that NSYNC did. And it was a totally different approach to Backstreet Boys, honestly. You know, NSYNC and Backstreet Boys are always compared. And as you said, NSYNC, it gets ripped for being the number two. And they both had very strong harmonies, as you said. I'm obviously biased. I recognize my bias. I do believe the Backstreet Boys had a, a stronger harmony blend. But I, in girls, I'm happy to debate this on the side. We don't have to get into it now. No, but um, <laughs> I, I, I do I, want to say I disagree. But we, we can debate. We this will later. talk. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. We can talk about these things. But also, what Insync had going for them, I just thought 
was besides their vocals, they were bringing this like high energy, almost like cardio dance. And I right. think that that was the first time that we had seen that combination for sure. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Yeah. I was watching some of the NSYNC videos earlier to prepare for this. And like I'm comparing it to some of the Backstreet Boys videos I've watched. And like Backstreet Boys are more lower energy where these guys, I mean, it honestly reminded me of like DDR or something where they're like, yeah, they're like, let's go. I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is a cardio workout. (laughs) They're not just like swaying on the stage or trying to be seductive. Insane yeah. felt more like full performers, whereas Backstreet Boys, I think the focus was always meant to be on their voices. Yeah. And that's not that Insane doesn't have good voices to show off. I just felt like they were, I'm going to say this, I feel like they were better performers all around when it came to dancing and singing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, um, I also think, too, that Backstreet Boys just had more ballads. So when you have a ballad, your vocals are going to be the thing that people focus on. Right. That makes sense. So moving on to Tyler's comment that the alternative title to this episode should have been 90s nostalgia is gross. (laughs) God, my jaw was on the floor when he made that statement. I again it would be one thing if he wasn't a fan of this kind of return to the era of nostalgia that we're having to each their own I get it but one it's extremely popular and two it's gross like what are you talking about (laughs) what are you talking about (laughs) I felt like what they were trying to say is that people romanticize an era that they didn't find themselves to be particularly inspiring but I just feel like this whole episode it's like let people like what they like you know and a lot of people find comfort in some elements of the 90s and early 2000s even though we can all agree that it was not a perfect time like we know that there were flaws but it's still okay (laughs) to find comfort in some of those moments that give you that warm glow of nostalgia Absolutely. And I want to give credit to the podcast Fangirl Central because they brought up this really good point on their podcast. But um, one thing that you see with nostalgia a lot of the times is marginalized communities gravitating towards it due to the fact that nostalgia equals memories minus trauma. And those who experience trauma tend to latch on to happier times of their past. So, wow. Yeah. So that is why we ladies love nostalgia is because (laughs) society is not always kind to us. (laughs) No, it's not. So the next thing that Tyler says is this band's, aka NSYNC's music never mattered. And now I want to counter that to didn't matter to whom? (laughs) People like you, older straight white men. So all those TRL moments, concerts that we went to, first kisses, wedding songs that NSYNC was the backdrop to for so many people, none of that mattered. And like, again, I'm a numbers girl. I'm a woman in STEM. Let's just go to these (laughs) physical album sales. But there are four albums NSYNC had sold almost 35 million records in total. So are all these purchasers, these people who are going out and buying these albums irrelevant they didn't matter their taste didn't matter no strings attached sold 2.4 hard copy albums in seven days they shattered the record and held it for 15 years also no strings topped the chart for eight consecutive weeks becoming one of the longest running number one albums of 2000 again in a critique i'm just looking for more than just like blanket statements as to why it didn't like tell me why it didn't matter because i 
the facts say otherwise. <laughs> I had their lyrics all over my AIM profile when I broke up with my high school boyfriend. So, like, they mattered to me. <laughs> Which song, Kels? Want You Back. Oh, but- because, uh, guys, it was a long story. We don't have enough time to cover it on the podcast. <laughs> okay. okay, got it. Was it in uppercase, lowercase, uppercase, lowercase letters? So I, I did the all lowercase with got glasses, it. periods, because it was, oh, like, you- so edgy and pointed. Oh, my God. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> okay, so the next comment was, the only reason we know lyrics to NSYNC songs is because they were forced down everyone's throat for five years. Now, my counterpoint is, isn't this how Top 40 Radio works? (laughs) Love it or hate it, this is literally the purpose of Top 40 Radio. Literally! (laughs) I feel like we've forgotten about radio because we all have so much more autonomy over what we listen to because of streaming and Bluetooth headphones now. But like... (laughs) what that's so fun like what (laughs) there are so many songs that i know the lyrics to against my will but i wouldn't be like oh that doesn't matter they're irrelevant no i know i know the lyrics because they were played everywhere because pop is short for popular (laughs) didn't they mention like savage garden or something that song being worthy of being stuck in your head and it's like you think i want i knew i loved you before i met you stuck in my head when i'm eight years old like no <laughs> although i do love me some chicka cherry cola oh yeah that's a good one <laughs> so the next is tyler had a hypothetical scenario if nsync fans were forced to listen to giddy up digital get down and up against the wall for two weeks straight said that it's a challenge the fandom should accept so i will admit giddy up is not my favorite NSYNC song. It's probably one of my least <laughs> favorite NSYNC songs. Digital Get Down is iconic. Um, and I, I'm a JC girl. Will always be a JC girl till I die. Up Against the Wall is, is it's okay. Like, it, I like it. I, I don't hate it. It's, it's okay. It's not my favorite. I don't think it sucks. But I think that Up Against the Wall was actually really ahead of its time because it used the Europop two-step um, yeah. electronica aspect to it, which I thought was really cool. It's very like Craig David inspired. So I do have an appreciation for it. Digital Get Down is so good. I, this is not, I mean, I could ace this hypothetical scenario because I listen to Digital Get Down regularly still. <laughs> Mary! And, oh my God, I love it. I love it. Yeah, ahead of its time. But if it, and say, again, I keep going back to this. If it's not their cup of tea or someone's cup of tea, that's fine. That's okay. Yeah, so, for sure. Like, no, again, once again, I would ace that challenge. And also like, okay, like you said, fair point. Giddy up, you know, I'm very indifferent with up against the wall, but like, don't all fandoms and musicians have that? Like, my mom is a Beatles stan, and they're objectively considered, you know, one of the best ever of all time. And I'm sure she can tell me a few songs in their discography that's that are weaker, you know, or aren't that right. great. They're skippers. Even my beloved Backstreet Boys, like, please do not make me listen to Undone or Masquerade ever again. Oh, my God. Or PDA. Or PDA. But, like, what I'm saying is that's not unique. And every fandom has this. Okay. Justice for Undone. I actually love that song. Okay. Fair enough. Oh, my God. Hot take. Anna, that is a hot take. I know. Well, Kevin likes the song. So that legitimizes Undone for a a little bit, does it? Oh, my God. Anna, are you a Kevin girly? Uh, yeah. 
unite. Yeah. Love that. Love that for us. Kevin is amazing. If you're not a Kevin girly in the year 2023, there's something oh, yeah. wrong with you. Like you're that an actual man is child. On fire. <laughs> He's on fire, right? He's like in his prime. Although I have to say, I I have historically have always and still remain to be an AJ girl. Like I was an OG oh. AJ girl. The next is there are so many bands that people are proud to know the B-sides of. NSYNC has nobody proud of knowing their B-sides. So they said this critique, but did they even listen to any of NSYNC's B-sides? Also, is a B-side song ever actually good most of the time i mean some of Um, them excuse me one directions and other worlds with like a moment (laughs) (laughs) okay some of them are iconic and fan favorites but (laughs) not all of them are great there's a reason why they're b-sides so i actually looked at all of nsync's b-sides to counterpoint this nsync doesn't actually have too many b-sides most of the singles b-sides are actually remixes of the single or just non-singles available on the album i.e crazy for you on the debut album and i thought she knew on no strings attached mm-hmm. i thought she knew is the b-side to this i promise you and hands down is nsync's best song by far nsync will tell you that anyone in the know will tell you that <laughs> um but a couple of their other noteworthy b-sides are this is where the party's at which was the b-side to it's going to be me and it's not their best song but definitely not a terrible song and i i don't hate it it's it's not bad and could it be you is the b-side to bye 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 and i actually love this song because we get aggressive jc here and anything <laughs> that like heavily features jc i'm i'm all about side me up I didn't know any of these songs, but if I did, I would be proud. Yeah. These are good yeah. songs. Yeah. And then we did talk about Digital Get Down, but they continued to be critical of it, about it being about cyber sex. And again, ahead of its time. Oh, yeah. And and written by JC. Like, yep. that deserves some credit, right? Like, At least. Yeah. Like, JC for being visionaries. Like, yeah. oh, my God. They basically produced. <laughs> Projected OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's so true. But yeah, JC has the most writing credits out of anyone in NSYNC in NSYNC's discography. So credit to him. I don't want to go down the JC rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, so so next is there aren't that many hits that NSYNC has, and NSYNC doesn't even have 10 songs people want to listen to. I feel like we could argue that. I could personally argue that Led Zeppelin doesn't have 10 songs that most people want to listen to. And I'm sure that would send, you know, that fandom in an uproar. And I wouldn't say that because I recognize Led Zeppelin is a well-regarded group. And are they my cup of tea? No, but I won't discredit their work or their discography because it doesn't align with my tastes. 100%. And like Mary said, she is a numbers girly. I pulled up these numbers (laughs) and these are the Billboard stats. So for NSYNC, they have 12 singles that made the Billboard chart. Six of those singles are top 10 hits and they have one number one hit. For a band that only released three albums plus a Christmas album, you cannot tell me that there aren't that many hits. So The six top 10 hits are Bye Bye Bye, Girlfriend featuring Nelly, This I Promise You, It's Gonna Be Me, God Must Have Spent a Little More Time on You, and Music of My Heart featuring Gloria Stefan. But if you compare this to the Backstreet Boys, they actually have pretty similar stats and they have a lot. This is not a knock on Backstreet Boys at all, but it's really just kind of comparing how though NSYNC's 
time was so short, they actually provided a lot of hits. Like I said, not a knock on Backstreet Boys at all, but they have 18 singles that made the Billboard charts. Six of those were also top 10 hits. So they have the same top 10 hits as NSYNC. So to make that claim that people don't know their songs or they don't recognize their songs, that's definitely not true. Some songs last the test of time, like Mm-hmm. I do want to say music of my heart. People in Gen Z probably don't know that song, but they right. do know Bye 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 oh, and yeah. it's going to be me. And this I promise you and God has to spend a little more time on you. Both pretty frequent wedding songs. So mm-hmm. we test- forget I Want You Back was my <laughs> I loved that. That was a great not song. A top hit. <laughs> <laughs> True. Also tearing up my heart. What? That I love it all. I love it yeah. all. So the claim that NSYNC is only living on nostalgia, I think is just, it's kind of funny for them to say that because they're not together anymore. So (laughs) everything is like looking back at 20 years ago. So Right. There's no new music coming out. So it's really hard to claim that anybody listening to them is inherently clinging to nostalgia versus genuinely liking the music. It's just such a weird argument because there's a finite discography to choose from. And also, like, who cares if you are living in nostalgia yeah. my my dad listens to the 70s rock music radio stations to remember the good old times like what's the difference between them listening to led zeppelin and us listening to in sync why is that a bad thing there are entire radio stations it's the oldest station dedicated to the 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s yeah you mean to tell me there are entire radio stations dedicated to this yeah, this band is only just living on nostalgia. Nobody else is, really? Nobody? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next comment was the two singles aside, and this is this is talking about NSYNC's debut album. The two singles aside, most NSYNC fans will admit the production and songwriting on the first album are horrible. The tracks sound like dollar store New Jack swing tracks. Um, <sighs> So they have a shoestring budget because Lou was stealing all their money. Lou Pearlman was stealing all their money. (laughs) They also said Max Martin was someone else's apprentice. Kelsey probably could just tell that I'm seething over here. We got to hold her back. Max Martin stan over here because I think they were trying to disrespect the boys by this statement in sync by who I mean by the boys. But they indirectly misfired and took aim at Max Martin the man with the second most number one hits ever, only behind a writer for the Beatles. And this literally made my head spin because, again, it's just a little bit lack of research and understanding of the story. So let's clear let's clear up this timeline again with some data and stats. Max started working at Cherion in 1993. So, yeah, maybe for a year or two, he was working at the Kinks and learning from his good friend and at the time mentor, Dennis Pop. Sure, I, I could give them that, you know. But he got his feet wet and was getting very comfortable and getting a lot of notoriety through his work with the Backstreet Boys, their self-titled debut, Ace of Bass, Robin, and other legends of the time. But he doesn't even work with NSYNC till 1997. So that's four years after he had already been working at Sherion. He's clearly not an apprentice as he's already been cranking out multiple number one hits prior. Dennis Pop had passed away less than a year after that. So let's just like nip this rumor right in the bud. Max Martin was no one's apprentice at this time. And he was a very res- well-respected, well-regarded music writer and producer. Nobody puts Max Martin in the corner. 
No, not when I'm around. No way, Jose. (laughs) Okay. So they also said that NSYNC made their album the same way that the Backstreet Boys album, debut album was made with the same budget, same people. This is actually inaccurate. They did work with Dennis Pop and Sharon Studios, but they worked with other established songwriters and producers. To say that they were working with all the same people is just inaccurate. The next is Backstreet Boys' debut album was exactly the same, but NSYNC's album was way worse than Backstreet Boys' debut album. So I actually think this is an unfair comparison because Backstreet Boys' American self-titled debut album was actually a combination of the two Euro releases, Backstreet Boys in 96 and Backstreet's Back the year after. So obviously, if you're going to combine the best songs from two albums, you're going to make one incredible album. (laughs) So... NSYNC did have a similar iteration of their debut album that came out in Germany in 97, and then it was reworked for American audiences in 98. However, it's it's still very much the same album. And I'm not going to accept the NSYNC slander. I, I don't think the majority of the songs on either of the albums are bad. They wouldn't receive the com- have the commercial success or receive this cr- critical acclaim if they were bad. Now, maybe like, you know, some of the songs were not amazing hits or everybody's cup of tea, but bad is not the way to, to describe it. Right. I mean, I could give or take I Need Love because that's right. like just Europop. <laughs> but but I mean, God must have spent a little more time on you. That song is just so iconic. I Drive Myself Crazy, also an iconic song. Problematic Mar- video, but great song. Yeah. <laughs> so great. I was like telling Mary in one of our earlier episodes that God must have spent a little more time on you. I was in love with NSYNC before I discovered Backstreet Boys. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go to church now because I want NSYNC to like me because clearly they're like religious because of this song. So you, it literally was a religious awakening for me. <laughs> Okay, so moving on to the next item. So they said that Backstreet Boys was not a band to launch one individual's career, but with NSYNC, we only need one or two guys that can actually sing. Now, I will say Backstreet Boys has always worked as a collective and they've always had a group mentality. That's one of the things that I've always admired about Backstreet Boys. However, there is definitely a misconception that Justin and JC are the singers and the rest of the guys can't sing. Chris, Joey, and Lance can absolutely sing, and they can sing really well, despite the fact that they weren't given that many solos. And this also kind of goes back to their five-part harmony arrangement. When you're in a harmony group, you just know that certain people have certain roles, and you just accept that, and you have to let your ego aside. They do say that JC is a better singer and the best singer of the group, but they don't go into many details as to why. So I will. (laughs) So JC has a four octave range, the widest range of many modern day boy banders and honestly, any vocalists of the Y2K era and easily one of the best male vocalists of that generation. So agreed. (laughs) I got you, Anna. You're so right. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, just wanted to state that there because just a consistent critique that I have over this entire episode is they'll make a statement but like not say anything to back it up so they made a positive statement with JC but they didn't say why so I was gonna say this is like actually one thing we were all like okay yeah JC was the best singer okay cool yeah okay oh you're not gonna elaborate fine I will (laughs) love it they're redeemed (laughs) okay this 
made me LOL profusely. So Mark says, I did a scientific experiment where I played bye, 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 and I want it that way to my kids. And they unanimously liked I want it that way better. So both songs are iconic. I want it that way is probably one of the best pop songs of all time. If aliens came down to earth and they were like, we want a pop song. We're going to hand them. I want it that way. And they're like, okay, we understand it now. (laughs) But Mark, you played your kids a mid-tempo ballad and ballads are always going to have a longer shelf life in terms of sound compared to a Y2K sounding up-tempo song. So it's not really fair to compare those two songs. You know, you a better comparison would have been to give them Bye Bye Bye, but then also Get Another Boyfriend by the Backstreet Boys. Mm. Those are pretty similar sounds, both Max Martin songs, and they would have probably been like, these both are terrible because their little Gen X or Gen Alpha ears aren't going to respond in the same, you know, they don't understand. And that's okay. <laughs> That's so funny. I probably, thinking back as a kid, I probably would have picked Bye Bye Bye, honestly, just because I liked up-tempo songs more. I liked, like, the fast beat. Um, But it's just, like, this is just so not substantive and should not be used in the discussion of NSYNC's artistry. No, definitely not. I will not lie, though. This did make me LOL because, first of all, I was a little bit proud that they liked Backstreet Boys still. You know, it's good to hear that the youths are keeping up with the music that we liked when we were younger. But I do believe, I hear you ladies, that we must take these experiment parameters with a grain of salt because it seemed like there was quite a small sample size for it to be statistically significant. (laughs) Okay, so the next is most of NSYNC songs are not good to do actual dancing to. You have to actually know the dances. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I, I agree with this because they, basically their argument was Backstreet Boys had more hip swinging songs and NSYNC did not. And I actually do agree with this to a certain extent. If you put on, so for example, at my wedding, Everybody by the Backstreet Boys played. Hmm. Everyone was dancing. It was like within the, it has a good rhythm and has a good beat and people could dance to it. If they put on Bye Bye Bye, people would probably have left the dance floor except for those that actually knew the dance to Bye Bye Bye. This, (laughs) sorry. Um, (laughs) That's okay. But I mean, that isn't necessarily a knock to that song. It was actually very similar to the to the style that Sharon and Max Martin were putting out. It was the quintessential Y2K song. Don't want you back for the call. It has uh. that like jerky punch feeling to it. You could not dance to the call, you know, like right. This kind of goes back to my point of a lot of the criticisms aren't something that's strictly about in sync. It's really a criticism to Max Martin. But there were so many <sighs> artists that were putting out the similar music, like Backstreet Boys, like Britney Spears. You couldn't really dance to Oops, I Did It Again unless you knew the Oops, I Did It Again choreography. Yeah. It wasn't possible to dance to. It just they made you get no. creative. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. When did dancing, being able to dance to a song become the marker of whether or not a song is good? There are really good songs that I'm like, well, I'm going to go cry in my shower. Or like, like, does yeah, that mean it's not a heaven. good song? Like, <laughs> And like, I can't dance to any of like Leonard Skinner's songs. So again, if we're going to use that as a marker in our analysis of like a good artist or if they suck, it, it, it's just ridiculous because it, it's not. It's not. 
So they then made the comment that Backstreet Boys have soul and NSYNC does not. Now, you cannot tell me that J.C. Shazay has no soul. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I have to say. He's got soul in spades. In spades! (laughs) Okay, so the next comment is NSYNC does not feel organic. It seems like you're jamming a bunch of people together here like it's a job. Now, again, they did not do their research on this. It is a common misconception that most boy bands like NSYNC came together by their management team or whoever, but they actually came together organically. And Chris Kirkpatrick has talked about this extensively on, on different interviews, but he was actually the one to find most of the members of the group. Then they went to Lou and Lou financed them all. The only member that was added, quote unquote, un- inorganically was Lance. And that was because they were looking for a bass singer. I think it's unfair to say that they don't like each other. They said they text all the time. I, I thought I saw a recent yeah. interview that they have a yeah. group chat. Lance and JC are really close. Um, Lance and Joey are really close. Joey and Chris are really close. Lance just talked about on his podcast how he went to JT's house for his kid's birthday party and he brought the little baby twins over with him. So like yeah. they do hang out. It's just not as I don't think it's as public. And I think we're just making assumptions just because they're not together as a group anymore. Agreed. Okay, so then they also say that they have two actual singers and three other dudes who fit the visual archetypes created by Lou, which again, Lou did not create this band, and they were all chosen based on their vocal abilities, not their looks. And then they go on to say NSYNC fans were not focused on the quality of singing, but more the visuals. And you can see this because JC was undeniably the best singer of NSYNC, but the pretty one got the solo career, fame trumps music ability. And the way that this is said is kind of blaming it on the fans for liking JT over JC more, which is not the fault of the fans. No, right. <laughs> but it's it's really the fault of the music industry for failing JC and JC's solo career. Sure, Justin was in the press more. He did a Britain. He got more attention. But again, I don't want to go into the rabbit hole that is JC's solo career. Please refer to our JC yeah. series. But I mean, to blame this on the fans, I think is totally unfair. There were plenty yeah, of fans we, that JC had back in the day. We didn't make him come out with some girls dance with women. You don't think we <laughs> wanted more for him? <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Okay, so the next is O-Town, LFO, 98 Degrees. By the time these acts got together, they were much better singers and dancers than NSYNC. 98 Degrees actually started around the same time as NSYNC. So again, this is is not accurate. But also, no disrespect to any of these bands. They were not better singers than NSYNC. Right. So, I mean, I do want to give credit to Devin Lima, rest in peace from LFO. He was a fantastic vocalist. Dan Miller and Jacob Underwood from O-Town are also really great. And I think all these groups have good singers. Like, let's be real. They wouldn't have made it if they were bad singers, like not good singers. But they're making these like blanket statements, which are kind of like matters of opinion or maybe someone's preference, but it's just not a fact. Yeah. Oh, and then they also say that they were better dancers, too. And 98 Degrees even will tell you that <sighs> that that they were terrible dancers. That's oh, my so God. I, know. I honestly can't think of one 98 Degrees dance. Like choreo. <laughs> I, I can't. But there's so many moments for NSYNC that stand out that are right. stood the test of time. So the next is NSYNC was in this weird middle time. They were the first ones to copy mm-hmm. Backstreet Boys. NSYNC came out 
after the Backstreet Boys, yes, but and before LFO, 90 Degrees, and O Town, technically, but they weren't in this weird middle time. They were like in it, like they were in like the same wave from a U.S. standpoint as Backstreet Boys. Europe is a little bit different, but to us in the U.S., they were like pretty much only months apart from each other. Yeah. Yeah. And they also say that uh, that 98 Degrees are better, not only better singers, but better looking and overall more talented. They kind of contradict themselves with talking about looks. Like, I thought they weren't about looks, <laughs> but then they go on to say that they were better looking. It just doesn't make any sense. No. Why are these straight men telling us who is better looking? <laughs> Why are the straight men telling us literally anything? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 98 Degrees were also not formed by Lou Pearlman, which they do mentioned, they actually formed in college as an acapella group. So again, that's another misfire. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Then they also say that Bye 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 wouldn't exist if Backstreet Boys didn't happen. This is a scientific fact. Okay, obviously, Backstreet Boys came first, but they worked with folks at Sharon. So also, thank you for finally acknowledging that similar writers. You guys are just ripping on on NSYNC's music when really it's the same writers as I want it that way. But so many other artists did after Backstreet Boys too. Yeah. It's kind of unfair to say like anyone after the Backstreet Boys, NSYNC in particular, would not exist. Literally, none of these artists would have all their hits after the Backstreet Boys <laughs> either. So like Britney, Robin, Celine Dion. Right. Backstreet Boys have over twice the number of Spotify streams than in sync. Backstreet Boys has always had a larger global presence. That's that's just a fact. You can't argue numbers, but <laughs> I just <laughs> <laughs> but I mean to say that in sync doesn't have the same like equal number of Spotify streams. One, they they're not putting out any new music, but they are still getting an average of six million Spotify streams per month, which for a band that hasn't put out any music in 20 years, that's still pretty impressive. Right. And they're not on global tours like Backstreet Boys are all the time. And right. it's just interesting that they said that they didn't want to compare. This is another critique that I have is like, if you really want to say that NSYNC sucks, say NSYNC sucks. You don't have to be like, well, Backstreet Boys did this and Backstreet Boys did that. Right. You know, same with if you wanted to say NSYNC was great and be like, well, they're great because Backstreet Boys is terrible. Like, mm-hmm. that's just like a terrible way of making an argument, honestly. I know. I feel like they just have a lack of things to say without making that comparison to Backstreet Boys. Yeah. And it's like, hello, there's room for more than one boy band. So it just <laughs> feels like a cheap argument. Exactly. And that's why, you know, I've identified so many times where they do make an argument against NSYNC but it's just like but Backstreet Boys did the same thing too (laughs) but also like why is this even a critique so the next is Tyler completely fumbles over discussing the story of Lance joining the band claim they couldn't get anyone that was actually great before going to Germany like I said he completely stumbles over this entire story (laughs) and he almost Mm -hmm. insinuated that they were a band but couldn't get anyone it just doesn't really make much sense and it's completely inaccurate to what actually happened by the way the reason why they were going through all these different people and i actually read through the lou perlman affidavit so i like know that there are a few people that came and went it was because they were trying to find a bass singer that both gelled with their personalities as well as their harmony arrangement so if they were so focused on the vocals like 
and also making sure that they all got along, isn't that important? Doesn't that make them a band that's actually involved in what they're doing? Right. And Tyler- to be fair, I mean, if they're going to compare in singing Backstreet Boys, in Backstreet Boys also had a different member named Charles who didn't work out. So right. you could right. make that argument against Backstreet Boys, too. So the next is no one cared about NSYNC until the Disney Channel special. NSYNC was a cheaper option because Backstreet Boys were already established. Um, so what? <laughs> Seriously. That's all I got to say. So what? It was the very early stages of the 90s bubblegum pop in the U.S. Pop music was still pretty new. And Backstreet Boys were still new to the U.S. market, too. They claim the Disney Channel is indoctrinating children with their programming. Um, what else is new? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they put out programming for children and they repeat the same thing over and over. They did this with more than just the NSYNC concert. I probably saw the pilot of the Lizzie McGuire show a thousand times. <laughs> um, same. <laughs> Like, is it indoctrinating or is it marketing? Like, right, right. The difference. People kind of forget that there was a lot of anticipation leading up to the NSYNC special. Like, they promoted the heck out of it. I remember going to Bugaboo Creek that night with my brother and sister and like singing along to I Want You Back and be like, yeah, we can't wait to get home and watch NSYNC. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, there was a lot of anticipation. It wasn't just the fact that, like, as soon as it aired, boom. They were popular. There was probably about a month prior to that where people were just really excited to see them. And like, here we go. I feel like no one talks about here we go. (laughs) So good. Here we go was a real earworm. And I feel like that was my first intro to NSYNC. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if I don't know if it was like their first single or anything, but that was definitely the first song that stuck with me for NSYNC. And I remember watching the Disney special and being like, oh, my God, I'm in love with them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the next is they talked about It Makes Me Ill and how it was written by Candy Burris and Kevin Briggs, who worked with TLC. And they say that TLC would have done that song better. Okay, not going to lie. If TLC ever did that song, I would literally die. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that NSYNC doesn't do that song justice. And also kudos to NSYNC for broadening their scope with working with these songwriters to get a cool and different sound for No Strings Attached. They could have done the same thing as other pop acts in the time and just worked solely with Max Martin. But they decided to brought in their perspectives so regardless of whether or not you like that song you have to give them credit for that 100 percent, 100 percent. okay so the next is there are better past examples of boy bands that are better singers and dancers and by the time it gets to NSYNC it feels like a commercialized version of past groups that were better and more interesting and were better dancers and singers okay um doesn't it contradict the point of the groups that came after them that were better dancers and singers. So you're saying that everyone that came before them were better dancers and singers. And everyone that came after them were better dancers and singers. Oh like, my God. So you're saying that NSYNC is the worst out of all these groups? No, 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 no. I'm not going to accept that. <laughs> but with no, no basis, with no, <laughs> with no actual concrete examples. And also, are you saying that O-Town wasn't a money grab too? Right. I th- they do mention something about, them, about NSYNC being a money grab and the bands that came after them 
weren't money grabs. O-Town was 100% a money grab. O-Town will tell you that. <laughs> and like they had the whole MTV making the band element behind, like swirling behind it. Like they were the biggest money grab of them all. Yeah, I still love O-Town. Like give me all the money grabs. Yes. I don't care if you're a money grab as long as you sound good. Yeah. This made me want to throw hands. They say, I don't know any NSYNC fans that have gone back and listened to any 10 hits of New Jack Swing and proceeded to make fun of them for covering Johnny Kemp's Just Got Paid. Um, Me, I have listened to New Jack Swing. I've listened to a lot of New Jack Swing. I am a music journalist. I, I know about music history. Them saying this insinuates that lovers of pop music, aka mostly women, queer folks, don't understand quote unquote real music and music history, which is totally not true. New Jack Swing had a huge influence on a lot of these groups from the 90s and 2000s, Max Martin, heavily influenced by the New Jack Swing sound. I do not need a lecture on this. Mm. Um, both Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were especially influenced by New Jack Swing. It wasn't something solely NSYNC did, but it was the fact that NSYNC was more direct about it because they made that Just Got Paid cover. They cover Just Got Paid because Kevin Antunes, NSYNC's music director, suggested that they cover that song because he thought it would work really well with their style. So for them to insinuate that they never gave New Jack Swing credit or they weren't aware of it was just simply not true. And I just don't think it's a crime that artists are influenced by artists before them. And even if they cover songs, like that's pretty standard in the industry. I, I think also most of these boy bands, if you research and read old interviews, they talk about people before them and which artists truly inspired them and their work. They're not like ripping the prior artists off. They probably even like paid them to, in some sense, to use their music or cover their songs. So again, it's just not a good argument. Isn't it cool that these bands are introducing classics to new audiences? Yeah. It's a way of keeping the music alive and thriving. Totally, totally. I mean, I think a lot of people in our generation had never heard the song Just Got Paid. So no. they do say that Justin Timberlake ripped off New Jack Swing singers' vocal styles. Look, I'm not here to defend Justin for culturally appropriating Black music, but that's not necessarily Justin doing that with his vocal style. That's actually more of the songwriters and producers instructing him to say and enunciate things in a certain way. But also, this is another example of them providing a blanket statement and not giving concrete arguments. Like, I would love for them to be like, Justin's vocals sound exactly like this song by this artist. So, again, no context, no backing of the statement that's being made. So then they give credit to New Jack Swing for being the peak of pop music, which I actually 100% agree with the statement. However, then they go into... They should be crediting all of these New Jack Swing artists and insinuate they ripped them off so much and that these New Jack Swing artists should sue for music and visual copyrights. And then they go on to say that it's not influenced by New Jack Swing. It's a carbon copy of it. Again, <laughs> specific examples, please, like copyright infringement. That is like such a bold statement. <laughs> yeah, and it's not legally accurate. So we'll just <laughs> shut that one down right there. <laughs> <laughs> but but also, I you know, I've said this, you know, NSYNC and also Backstreet Boys, too, have said in many interviews how much they appreciated it and looked up to oh, New yeah. Edition, Boys Two Men, all, all these artists and as well as Johnny Kemp. So to accuse them of of not giving them any credit is just ridiculous. This 
So the next is these dudes got surrounded by people telling them how great they are and they say that they're the greatest and which I'm okay. Um, and then they also say InSync were always very bad at dancing and look at InSync's first video. It looks like they copied and KOTP's moves. <laughs> Mark and Tyler, you guys are music critics. Why are we critiquing their dance moves okay i will admit that original i want you back music video is so cheesy and so ridiculous but to say that they're bad dancers that's just inaccurate i i will say the new kids and specifically jordan knight worked a lot with darren henson who also obviously worked a lot with nsync at choreographer darren henson and again this isn't in regards to their first video but i think it is expected when there are a few hot choreo choreographers of a certain area that they will work with a lot of the top talent of the time. And that might result in some similar looking style of dance. It's yeah. not like NSYNC choreographed their own video and copied and uh, new kids, you know, it's ridiculous. Right. right. They work with choreographers who are yeah. showing them the latest dance moves. Like they 100% they're not making their own dance moves no. themselves. <laughs> they then go into criticizing the bye 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 dance, say it's shitty. It's not even dancing. And, and, one of the moves is the only thing people know of the dance. So I want you ladies to talk about this because you interviewed Darren Henson, who you mentioned in the previous comment. Darren Henson is widely regarded as one of the best choreographers in pop music. So yeah, I think Kelsey, yes, Kelsey and I are both happy to rant here. He, this man is choreographed for Michael Jackson, Prince, Janet Jackson, Britney Spears, individuals who are all known for their performing abilities and iconic, memorable dance numbers. Again, it was very of the time. It was trendy. And just because it's, I don't know what they mean. It's not even dancing. You know, I don't know how to respond to that because it's a clear choreography. But Darren Hudson yeah. is an angel and I, I will not stand for this. We will not stand for the <laughs> Darren slander. I mean, this man is a genius and a total gem, which is I think, exemplified by this iconic dance. I mean, the fact that they're trying to argue that, you know, you only remember one of the moves. At least we remember a move. You know what I'm saying? Like, 100%. I feel like this, this dance is one of the most successful examples of visual branding. When you hear this song, you immediately know the choreo. It's like, I don't want to get in trouble for making this comparison, but I really feel like it's Thriller for our generation. Yeah. Like, you know, like the claw yeah. hands that they do in Thriller. Everybody knows just a little bit of that dance and they do it and it connects them. And again, I just come back to just because it's popular doesn't mean it's bad. Just because everyone knows the dance doesn't make it a bad dance. It makes it an iconic dance. 100%. And then they criticize NSYNC for their jerky, quote unquote, dance moves while singing and that impacts their singing. Okay, in regards to the jerky dance moves, Britney, Janet Jackson, so many other artists dance like this too. Though it was of its time, it was an iconic dancing style. And to say that it's bad is just inaccurate. But to also say that it was impacting their singing, there were probably some moments where it did. But at NSYNC's core, they were a vocal harmony group. They never lip synced unless they were on a show that was not set up for live music. The fact that they were dancing and singing at the same time was impressive. They, you know, Mark and Tyler like to knock and sync for doing that. But I would say that that's what a really talented entertainer does. Then they also talk about Lance being a terrible dancer and how Lance was just brought onto the group because they, quote unquote, just needed a fifth guy. And a boy band's dancing is only good as their worst dancer. So I know that 
Lance has said himself in interviews and in his book that he was not a good dancer. But honestly, looking back at their videos and their live performances of him dancing, Lance is not apparently bad. Like, you don't look at these videos and say, wow, that Lance, why is he in the group? <laughs> like, yeah. I think that Lance is a little hard on himself. I know that he joined the group not knowing how to dance, but I mean, they put them through hell with learning the choreography at the beginning of the group. He eventually did learn how to dance, and but they didn't put Lance in the band because of his dancing or lack thereof, or just because they needed a fifth guy. Again, they put Lance in the group because they needed and wanted a bass singer. I always look at Lance in music videos and in the onstage performances for this reason, because he always says like, oh, I wasn't like a dancer, and he's known as like the bad dancer. But I always think like, what is he talking about? Like, he's <laughs> yeah. so good. I did a great yeah. two minutes of that choreography. Yeah. So the next is go revisit all their music videos and tell me what you walk away with. 95% of this group's dance moves is stomping their foot down, doing b-boy shit with their arms. It's just steps. It's not dancing. So again, this is kind of going back to the critique of Darren and others' choreography, which Again, this is so inaccurate. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a reason why these videos and these this choreography continues to trend on TikTok legit 20 years after the fact. I'm sure there is some stomping going on, but it's a minor element of something that was very culturally defining. Okay, so then they get into NSYNC's Super Bowl performance in 2001. They say things like they should have lip synced, they are terrible singers while dancing, and that NSYNC prioritized the spectacle of the Super Bowl. And they also compare it with Backstreet Boys' style of having the solo singer stopping dancing to focus on the vocals. So again, this kind of goes back to we want our entertainers, at, at least at that time, to be multi-talented entertainers. Broadway performers, Britney Spears, Lady Gaga, they all sing and dance at the same time. Backstreet Boys did too. They just weren't as intense with their dancing. But to the Super Bowl comments. <laughs> so I actually watched the Super Bowl halftime show from 2001 before we recorded. It is objectively a mess. I will say that. They danced amazingly, but they are focusing on the performance as a whole. The reason why they are out of breath is because they literally sprinted across the football field to get to the stage why they did that i have no idea but that's my guess as to why they were out of breath at that time i really liked the super bowl i didn't oh, like notice did it too. being as like i mean every singer sounds a little bit not perfect when they're performing like live and trying to put on a show like in the super bowl arena so oh totally i didn't really, I didn't really think it was that bad yeah i mean it's Man. an iconic if Mary you look and I back disagree on this. I, <laughs> TBH, I kind of agree that they could have had more substantial backup vocals because it was really high energy and they were doing a lot of intense things. And that's not to yeah. say that I think that they're bad live singers. I know that they are great singers objectively, but it just wasn't their best vocal performance. And for such a big totally. stage and as like a boy band lover, it's like, oh my God, please sing well because <laughs> it, a rising tide lifts all ships. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> they do make a point that Mary J. Blige was a minor character in the Super Bowl performance and her and Britney are the vocal highlights. I could not agree more. I feel like Mary J. Blige was totally underutilized in that entire performance. And so is Britney too. And it's so interesting though, because 
I think that people in their minds think that Britney had a much bigger role in that performance. Yeah. So I don't know how much more to, more I can say, I but know. they were both fantastic. And I really wish that there was more of them. I know. Britney just had that like one intro to the verse that she like split with. Um, was it Justin? I don't know. It just it really. And then she like sang with Steve uh, Tyler a bit, but uh, her and Mary could have really like elevated this to the next level if they had given them more time. Totally. I wish they had their own songs or like a snippet of their own songs. Like give them 30 seconds. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So the next is that NSYNC made some especially bad videos. Uh, I beg to differ. NSYNC had yeah. some of the most iconic and memorable videos of all time. Their budgets were insane back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. So to say that they were bad, again, this kind of goes back to it may not be your personal taste, but a lot of people enjoyed their music videos. Exactly. And I think they worked a lot with like David Myers and just like iconic people behind music videos of the time. It doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> they don't suck. Wayne Isham? Isham? Yes. He is like yeah. iconic. So he directed It's Gonna Be Me and Bye Bye Bye. That's who I was thinking of, not David Myers. Wayne yeah. Isham. Yep. Wayne Isham, yeah. Uh, actually, Wayne also directed Pop as well. So <laughs> there you yeah. go. Yeah. Dave Myers directed This I Promise You. Oh, and that's my least favorite one of the videos. <laughs> <laughs> that video is a hot mess. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's iconic in so many ways. JC with his turtleneck. And I mean, the yes. backdrop is gorgeous, but it, it's kind of a hot mess because then all of a sudden they're like at brunch on the patio singing. It, it all literally the bubbles. makes <laughs> yeah. <the> bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of videos, they do mention that the I Drive Myself Crazy video is problematic. I also agree that video did not age well, but so many videos during that time also did not age well. Yeah, like M&M's, like he better get the same critique from them yeah. on that. What was Absolutely. that? Absolutely. What was that real some shady, I think, where he's in the insane asylum or something? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. the Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We did not take mental health seriously back in the right. late 90s. That's True sure. that. So they also make the comment that NSYNC shouldn't exist, which is just kind of a ridiculous comment. This is their critique of an artist, like they shouldn't exist. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the next they are talking about Justin Timberlake being a child and they felt uncomfortable seeing him in the early music videos and the lyrics being too mature for mm -hmm. him. I will admit, Justin Timberlake was 17 years old, kneeling on the bed in the Tearing Up My Heart music video. Knowing now how young he was, yeah. yeah, it makes me feel uncomfortable. But they're also marketing to teenage girls. Yeah. So at the time, you're just like, oh, wow, this guy's really cute. And there's so many other examples of over-sexualization of boy band members. I mean, a really great example is Nick Carter at 16 years old singing Am I Sexual, which I would argue is way worse. Right. Poor right. Nick, you know. But I will say that Justin was 18 by the time they broke in 98. Okay. So he wasn't super young. He was probably he was definitely on the younger side of the, in the Germany days. But from a U.S. perspective, he was 18. Yeah. So. And to your point, I mean, Nick was literally 13 years old when he joined the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Probably one of the youngest to like start in the boy band era. 
but it was like very common. So many were coming from this like Mickey Mouse Club vibe, Nickelodeon right. type thing. A lot of them were carrying their families and their households on their backs. And right. this was just like very of the time and not unique to NSYNC. Absolutely. And this should not be at the fault of NSYNC. This no. really is more of a fault of people on their team um, making sure that they're doing things that are age appropriate and also yeah. their parents too. So this is no fault to any of those guys. They're just doing what they're told. Yep. 100%. Okay. So the next is they go into sync having the most tragic fashion choices and they make fun of things like Chris Kirkpatrick's goggles and JT's ear piercing. And it's just like, they, that was the time. That was yeah. the late 90s, early 2000s. Literally every other group's had very similar fashions. Everything was just so over the top. Mm -hmm. This is not anything that is specific to sync. I mean, the guys in Limp Bizkit also dressed really crazy. And the other sure. thing, too, that I don't think that boy bands ever really get enough credit is kind of their bending of gender norms. Oh. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of JC wearing a black lace top with khakis at the MTV Movie Awards ah. in, I believe it was 2000. And also another example, a Backstreet Boys example, is Kevin with his amazing um, kilts. Or what <laughs> during... about... Yeah, what about AJ with his nail polish? He was the OG. And his, yeah, and his crop tops, his mesh yeah. crop tops. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, if you, if that's not your thing and you don't particularly like it, that's one thing. But I also think you're not giving them enough credit for kind of bending the rules fashion-wise. Amen, sister. Agreed completely. I didn't even think of that. Okay, so the next thing that they said is all boy band first albums, one of the best things to do is to listen to the album and find a theme. And that theme for NSYNC's debut album is all of the songs are about apologizing to a girl. I would like to counterpoint that with, did they even listen to this album? <laughs> because this is very inaccurate. I'm thinking particularly of songs like God Must Have Spent a Little More Time on You yeah. and their covers of Sailing, Everything I Own, as well as I Just Want to Be With You and Crazy For You. None of these songs have that theme. So they may have gotten that impression from a couple of songs, but I wouldn't say that that's the entire theme of the album. No. The other thing is this that the Instinct's debut album definitely has a cohesion issue for sure. So it definitely, there, there really isn't mm -hmm. much of a theme to be had in that sure. album. You know, that is an argument that you can make against the debut album is the lack of cohesion. All of us on this call, I think we're all kind of boy band connoisseurs. And I just don't think like our first mission when listening to an album is finding the theme. Like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can correct me, but that's never been like my main activity when like deep diving into an album. And also I don't mind if there's a different range of themes or emotions on an album. Like that way you can relate to it at a, a different times in your life. There doesn't have to be just like one common theme that carries through each and every song on the album. That would be like insane and boring. <laughs> That's so true. And that actually kind of touches upon the experience of being a boy band fan mm -hmm. when you're a young child or teenager is 
really what drives people to boy bands is the emotions within right. the songs and mm -hmm. how it makes them feel. So if there's a particular song that makes you sad, makes you happy, you can get all of those within boy band music. Absolutely. So I, I think they, they just lack the perspective on the experience of a fan. Exactly. Well put. So the next is they make fun of It's Gonna Be May uh, and that Justin holds everyone back during the chorus in the choreography. I actually really liked that. I mean, it just adds an additional layer to the song. Yeah. Regardless of what you think of Justin Timberlake, it was really smart. Wade Robson did an amazing job with the choreography. Sure. So, it, you know, him and Darren Hansen at that time were the top choreographers in pop music. So yep. I will not tolerate the hate of that choreography. <laughs> oh, we will not stand for that slander. Absolutely not. And then they also say that I almost feel bad for the other guys in NSYNC. What are they doing? So basically, they're saying that none of the other guys in NSYNC have careers anymore, except Justin Timberlake. And they may not be at the same level as Justin Timberlake, but they all have very successful careers in different areas of entertainment. And again, I don't think they really did their research. Fun fact, my dog is actually an influencer for Chris Kirkpatrick's dog scent brand, Hound. <laughs> Stop it. Oh my God. Yeah. I didn't know he had that. That's really funny. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so Otis is making his, earning his kibble through Chris Kirkpatrick. So <laughs> I, but honestly, I, I wouldn't worry too much about the guys of sake. They're doing, they're doing just fine. You, people need to worry about themselves. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So the next critique that they make is that it's going to be me is, is not a Justin Timberlake song. It's an NSYNC song. But every April, it always has Justin's picture. Mm -hmm. And I actually agree with that because it was more than just Justin who sang that part of the song. There, It, yeah. it kind of changes. It, it, it interchanges between Justin and all of them collectively. Yeah. But that's also why we did the It's Going to Be May series <laughs> yeah. too, on our Instagram. Which was wonderful. And that's not like Justin's fault that like he has become this like meme of the song because he happens to be the main singer on, you know, the chorus or two of it. But like, it's just, that's just the way pop culture and the cookie crumbles. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So they also critique It's Gonna Be Me again. And they said that it only has less than half of the number of streams as I want it that way. And they go on to say that It's Gonna Be Me is a terrible song. I mean, Again, mm. like it's you're comparing it to the most iconic pop song of all time, which is I Want It That Way. And I just don't think that that's a fair comparison, really. You're, you're, again, they're comparing a ballad, a mid-tempo ballad to an up-tempo song. So it's just an unfair comparison. And then mm -hmm. they do a quote-unquote serious analytical read of the lyrics of It's Gonna yeah. Be Me. And they basically accuse it of being an example of toxic masculinity and kind of bordering sexual assaults as well. <laughs> but and then no. they go to say that these songs only work because the listener wants to fuck the guy that's singing it. Okay. <laughs> and for them to accuse a song of being toxic masculinity, but then say that the listener 
is is saying that it's okay because they're attracted to the singers that is your that is toxic masculinity yeah. right there oh my How god did they not realize that oh my god I, I think we have said this this is a max martin song there's a bunch of different reasons why max used the the specific words and the specific language that he uses first of all english is not his first language this is the same man that wrote baby one more time which also makes no sense but Max Martin's music philosophy is that the lyrics are secondary mm-hmm. to the melody. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of the lyrics is supposed to support the notes and make it not only a catchy melody within the song, but also provide it with a punch. Right. So to break down lyrics of a Max Martin song is just stupid. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> no. And this, this analyst... This analysis from them really threw me for a loop because like, I feel like you could just survey a ton of people and they'd be like, these are not like rapey vibe songs. Like that's insane. Right. Right. But if you just like took 10 seconds to like Google the meaning behind the lyrics of the song, it's like a girl who's scared of getting hurt again and a guy who's trying to show her that he's going to be the one. He's not like the other guys. That doesn't give me like an unconsensual relationship, forced relationship vibe that's like remotely articulated and it's going to be me. That's insane. They were particularly harsh in the line, you've got no choice, babe, but to move on. But again, they're missing the point of word choices, why why Max chooses specific words in specific places. It's about the emotion. It's about the power. And also JC doing that line is perfect because that is JC's thing. He is mm-hmm. all emotion, all power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is—it's just making me upset about this because I know I would be the first to critique a song that would have this kind of insinuation. Yeah. And I think one of the things that boy bands overall, especially in sync, is that they were always really respectful of their audience in their music. Absolutely. Okay, moving on. Then they go on to say the three guys who can't sing or dance, a.k.a. Joey, Lance, and Chris, are pretty incredible in the bedroom. I don't even okay. want to like get into this. <laughs> I know that they were trying to be funny, but it's just it's just gross. And why even, even go there? And again, they're insinuating that they're not doing anything, which is not mm-hmm. accurate. So Agreed. They do redeem themselves a little bit by saying... I do get bummed out to know that Lance Bass was in the closet during this entire time and totally agree with this. The late nineties, early 2000 was extremely homophobic, not safe for people to come out of the closet that were high profile celebrities, but he's living his best life now, which makes me happy. Same. We're loving it. We're loving it for Lance. (laughs) So the next critique that they make is specifically about NSYNC's last album, Celebrity. They say all of the songs are about how awesome it is to be a boy band, even if it attracts some gold diggers and they are going to be a pop boy band forever. But the irony is, is that Justin leaves the group as soon as the album comes out and they break up. Again, this is inaccurate (laughs) because (laughs) one, Justin didn't actually leave the group. A few months after the release of the album, it was about I mean, he didn't even officially leave the group at that time. He, They just took a break and Justin started his own solo career. Mm-hmm. So to say that it was only a few months is inaccurate. Also, I want to say they did two tours to support this album, Pop Odyssey and Celebrity. So again, mm. <laughs> there's a, yeah. a lot of time in between. Also, 
they only really have one song about a gold digger and that's the song celebrity but i wouldn't say that that's the entire theme of the album is that they're this amazing pop group and all these girls are after us and they're just trying to get our money like that's no <laughs> that's I, not no. the theme I agree. Celebrity maybe like see right through you, but I think that could be, that's like, could be interpreted in more than one way. And there's like a ton of love songs on the album Celebrity. I, I'm thinking of just the two of us gone, like just off the top of my head. I'm sure there's selfish. More. Selfish. So. Oh, selfish is so good. Um, I also that they like kind of hated on the song pop so much. Mm-hmm. I, I will not stand for it. I do not think that is a bad song. And um, no. I, again, I will defend it till I die. I am not sure if they even cared to research how, uh, for example, the king of pop, Michael Jackson himself, came out to perform and dance with the boys for this song during the VMAs. I can tell you that the king of pop would not have touched a shitty song with a 10-foot pole even just to like <laughs> perform with them. So again, just because it's not your taste doesn't mean it's as like god-awful as they're saying it is. Yeah, absolutely. And one, it's where we got the name of our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> so we love definitely it. Don't, definitely don't hate that song. And it was also super ahead of its time, too, for Instinct yeah. to collaborate with one of the biggest EDM artists at the time, BT, was yeah. really, it wasn't anything that you saw any other boy band doing at the time. So, so much Agreed. credit to them. Agreed. Okay, so the next is they say that Justin saying he was embarrassed about being in NSYNC and how it was a dickish thing to say because NSYNC is the reason why he has the career that he has. And he's right, though, because they suck. <laughs> and look, there, I it had has always disappointed me how little he has talked about NSYNC. And when he does, it's, it's not always substantial. Mm-hmm. So... And it's also interesting, too, to see how a lot of the guys coming out of One Direction and how they talk about their experience being in One Direction, how it was such a positive experience, they loved it, how they're so appreciative of that time. And to not get that from Justin has always been very disappointing as an NSYNC fan. Sure. So I will say that, but (laughs) to be like, he's right though, because they suck is just ridiculous. It's not, it's just not a a substantial argument. So then they go into a majority of NSYNC fans do not like Justin Timberlake because how could they? He talked the most shit of everyone about your favorite band and he's not even the best singer. It's the fans worst nightmare. It's when you like a band and the worst performer is the one is the only one who people know. So that's what they said. And this is what I have to say. There's actually, whether you like Justin Timberlake or not, there are actually are a good amount of NSYNC fans who love and support Justin. I cannot quantify it. It's it's hard for me to even say. In my head, I want to say 50-50, but that could be inaccurate. But there are still a lot of fans of Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Take that what you will. <laughs> Mark ends with a story about getting invited to a TRL taping with NSYNC and Carson. And during that time, Carson Daly asks him if he likes NSYNC and he says he doesn't. And Carson allegedly says, yeah, me neither. This was the infamous episode where there were so many people in Times Square that they had to close the blinds to the windows. Yeah. But 
that Carson one could have been kidding and two he could have just been like doing the guy thing like oh I don't really yeah. like them but then secretly liking them so who knows <laughs> who knows exactly so we are going to end with a lot of the things that they said about Lou Pearlman and the contracts and some of the inaccuracies there Kelsey and Mary have done an amazing job with their own research because they did a whole entire podcast episode. Highly recommend checking their episode mm -hmm. out about Lou Pearlman. So we're going to get into it. Mark and Tyler say that they don't understand how NSYNC got involved with Lou. Backstreet Boys, they understand because they came first. First of all, they, they trusted Lou. Mm -hmm. Both groups signed the same contract, but Lou also made a point to keep both of them mm -hmm. not on not speaking terms like they they ha kept them in their silos so for them to critique in sync for being like well why didn't you see bsb's contract they yeah. they weren't even talking to each other no so. not at all so the next is backstreet boys sued lou perlman first when they realized that they were get getting screwed by him first and Again, like I said, Lou Perlman kept these two groups separate, so it, it's not really fair to say that. Yeah. And also, NSYNC took Lou to court, whereas Backstreet Boys let their contract end. But but I know that you guys know a little bit more about this whole thing. So Yeah, so back in 1997, a couple members from both Backstreet Boys and, and NSYNC, including JC, Justin, and Brian, were at a McDonald's in Germany. LOL, after a charity <laughs> basketball game. And that's when they became like they first started comparing notes because it was truly one of the first times that they had been able to interact, like you said. And um, the circumstances under which they ended up in court are a bit different. For the Backstreet Boys, Brian immediately hired a lawyer to investigate why their checks were so small compared to Lou's. In 1997 and 1998, like, during that time period, Backstreet Boys filed a lawsuit against Lou, claiming that they had only received $300,000 since 1993, while Lou had made over $10 million. Then he was ousted as the Backstreet Boys manager, Backstreet Boys got their freedom and cash, and then they went to jive. On the other hand, in sync, and no story is better than the other. They just have their own, you know, pass on freeing themselves from Lou. But um, Right, right. In sync, once they, you know, had this infamous McDonald's conversation in Germany, they discovered that basically they had the same shitty deal as the Backstreet Boys, and their attorneys found a small loophole in their contract with the Transcontinental Records label that was Lou's label, and so they jumped to Jive Records, the same label that the Backstreet Boys went to. So they were both kind of doing the same thing their own way in getting there, you know, a little bit different, but the same. As a result of NSYNC leaving, Transcontinental, along with BMG Entertainment, the label that distributed NSYNC's albums, filed a $150 million breach of contract lawsuit in an effort to stop the move and to stop them from performing using the name NSYNC. And that's how NSYNC ended up in court. So Lou brought them to court versus the other way around, actually. And in 1999, they reached a settlement which included giving NSYNC members the right to control their name, and Lou was also out as their manager. I mean, you all know, no strings attached. This is all inspired by the drama that they had with Lou. They were cutting their their puppet strings. They were free from him. So, I mean, if you want to simplify it, then they were all in court for bottom line, the same reasons. They're unfair contracts, but the circumstances were a bit different. 
Well said. So well said. Thank you, Mary. Uh, so the last few things that they critiqued in sync about in regards to Lou is that JT and JC had experience in the entertainment industry. How did they sign this contract? Most of them were still teenagers, even though in sync, even though Justin and JC had that experience in the entertainment industry, Justin was literally 13, 14 years old and yeah. JC was 18. So they were still really young and it's a little unfair to victim blame them, I would say. And yeah. the, it, they accuse them of being dumb and Ugh. it took them way too long to figure out they're getting screwed, which you, what you said, Mary, they knew around 97, 98 that something was up. Yeah. So it didn't it actually didn't take them as long as people think. It just no. took them a long time to actually get to court. Yeah. So. Then they accuse JC of not going to his lawyer uncle in the first place when he did sign the contract, which, he, again, he was literally 18 years old. We don't know the dynamic of his family. No. So, to, so to say, like, he should have went to his lawyer uncle, like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, if anything, if we're going to blame anyone besides Lou, Lou's the the man we blame, but like we got to look to the adults in the situation and Absolutely. you know if anyone failed them it, it may have been the adults but again the the real villain in this situation is Lou not the parents not the minor children who were you know in this terrible situation terrible contractual situation so enough. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, that is our episode. Thank you so much, Kelsey and Mary from When They Popped Podcast. Thank you so much for having oh us. My gosh. We had so much fun and so excited to hear this and do it again in the future. And we'll see you all next time. This Must Be Pop is written, produced, and edited by Anna. Our theme song, Teenage Girls Made Rock and Roll, is written and performed by Madam Daly. Add us on Instagram for more content and to be the first to find out which band will be featured in the next episode at This Must Be Pop Pod. That's This Must Be P-O-P-P-O-D on Instagram. Got a question or suggestion? Email us at This Must Be Pop Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs>